Hello, everybody. Are we getting excited for the ho, ho, ho holidays yet? I know I am. We saw that right around today is the 30th anniversary of the Christmas time classic Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. The film was released November 15th, uh, I think wide release November 20th in 1992. Now, we covered this back during the Christmas of 2019 as part of our fabulous sequel Christmas series that year. McAllister McLean was two Christmas harder. That featured this jingle all the way to Die Hard 2 in our full review of A Christmas Story. But since that was a Christmas release, to this date, it's been exclusively for club member enjoyment only. But now for its 30th anniversary, we're letting everybody in on the fun of this movie. I think Bald Move Christmases are pretty special, and this podcast will illustrate why. Typically, we review a few Christmas movies while drinking from our boozy advent calendar. And I'm pretty sure we end up putting the whole McAllister family on trial in this one. Well, they did lose a child over two consecutive Christmas holidays. That's a garbage family right there. And, you know, I, that, that, that's true. That's true. And I think this might be the first movie we've ever discussed where we didn't totally hate Rob Schneider and what he's doing in a film. We're calling it the Yo-Ho-Ho-Ho Merry First Run Movie Christmas. And we'll be covering all new movies this year. I think it's actually first rum. I just want to correct that. First, first rum. rum. Oh, let's read first run. rum movie Christmas. Uh, and, and, and because of the first rum aspect of it, we've, we've upgraded, mm-hmm. we've downgraded or perhaps just side loaded into a rum themed advent calendar with 24 shots of premium rum for our enjoyment. We're going to be doing a minimum three of these shots per Christmas time event. First up is David Harbour playing a Santa Claus looking for revenge in Violent Night, which will be out in theaters everywhere December 2nd. Then Lindsay Lohan tries to make a holiday comeback in Exodus rom-com Falling for Christmas, all new, out on Netflix. HBO Max is releasing the long-awaited sequel to A Christmas Story called A Christmas Story Christmas, where grown-up Ralphie takes his family back to the old neighborhood to celebrate the season. And of course, we'll end things with a secret holiday movie classic, for you to open and discover over your Christmas break. Each Friday, we'll have the highly anticipated boozy Christmas lunches with Jim and Aaron. And on two Wednesday evenings, we'll have festive live streams with games, good cheer, and some bald move community secret Santa public gift exchanges. And all U.S.-based club bald move fans will be mailed a physical Christmas card from me and Aaron. All international folks will be emailed a high-resolution digital copy suitable for printing and display. If you're hearing this, it's not long until deadlines to receive a card and get in on the Secret Santa have passed. Gotta check out christmas.baldmove.com for more details on deadlines and joining in on the festive fun. And in the meantime, enjoy our Scotch-fueled discussion of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Today we're going to be talking about Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, the 1992 follow-up to Home Alone, also directed by Chris Columbus. All the original cast has come back, and they add Tim Curry and Rob Schneider to the mix. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boy, I have got a million things to say about this, Jim. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, Before we get started, I I, I just want to have a production note here. Uh, So we we, we record the live watches, and we rent it off Amazon Video which means we have 48 hours to get our notes done and, and come back or we'll get billed twice and we can't have that. 
Of course, that four dollars is precious. Yes, I mean, what are we? Not going to be cheap bastards. Um, I did not know this, but you can only watch one title at a time. And you and I share the Amazon account, right? So we went home last night to do our second watch, and you were watching, and I was locked out. Oh, fuck. And here's the thing. Our schedule is so fucking tight that I almost broke out down into tears because I'm like, I don't know fucking <laughs> when I'm going to do this. <laughs> you should like texted me. Well, here's the thing. A Christmas miracle happened, Jim, because I remember on my uh, network attached storage device, I have a whole folder called Christmas that's full uh, of Christmas joy, and I had a copy of Home Alone awesome. 2 right there, ready to go. Christmas was saved. I'm great. I'm calling it a Christmas miracle. It filled my heart with joy and love. What did you think of this movie? Uh, I'm going to say that this movie is both better and worse than the first movie. One of the things I want to talk about first is, is this a really good, is this a good sequel? And I, we, we I feel like we need to discuss it because I'm still not totally sold on whether yeah, it's better. Yeah. Um, this movie's not trash. This movie is not a no. cheap cat, a cheap cash grab. It does a lot of, of the same things that the first one does. Right. But I feel like that's kind of the point. Right. And, and I don't know. Maybe we should just talk about it and then re like circle back to yeah. this question at the end. Like uh, we'll have uh, one of those. Uh, what's what's this? Uh, Buzz Buzz's fake trial at the end. Okay, La- yeah. ladies of the jury, and I'll we'd give like to a... present the evidence against and for Home just Alone Two. Fucking bullshit speech. Uh oh god. Well, we'll get there. Um, I'll call you a trout sniffer, and it'll all go to hell. I have a couple opening salvos I want to discuss. Uh, just okay. some things I just I just really like that we're, we're going for the movie uh, favor. Um, there's two things that we're going for the movie's favor and two things that might take people back. Um, I'm going to uh, treat them as trigger warnings. Uh, there is out of nowhere the Twin Towers. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's also out of nowhere Donald Trump. Yeah. Mugging on screen for five seconds. So just just be prepared emotionally for both of those things to hit you in, in fairly rapid succession. I was confused by the Donald Trump thing at first, uh-huh. but apparently he owned the Plaza Hotel at that time. Did he? So it makes a little bit of sense that he might show up in it was the a halls. condition. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, you... Actually, yeah, I'll let you film here if I can be in the movie. Uh-huh. And he turns around and mugs to the can. It's, ugh. Yeah. ugh. yeah, yeah. He almost grabbed the camera by the pussy. <laughs> Uh, in fact, that was the fifth take of the one he was able to restrain himself. Yeah. Uh, two things I really liked about this film uh, right away. I, th- I loved the, the logo, the stylized house. And then it gets mm-hmm. like, you know, surrounded by the big city. And it really kind of like is a very, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a master of graphic design uh, because it just gets you ready for the premise of Kevin, you know, uh, suburb of Chicago, Kevin coming to the big city. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think this sh- this this movie made me want to go and experience Christmas in New York sometime. Like yeah, I mean Rockefeller Plaza yeah. is kind of amazing during yeah. Christmas. Yeah, and everything like you know, it's like I I think it would be fun. Maybe not like I don't want to spend actual Christmas in New York because that's like I feel like Christmas is for like your house and you yeah. know your own tree. I'm I'm kind of with Kevin on that. But not like for Florida, yeah, a week or two like you know a week or two before Christmas that to be a lot of fun. Go mm-hmm. see some shows, go experience the lights, like I said, ice skate at Rockefeller uh, Plaza. Um, so yeah, I never really felt that way before, but uh, watching this movie several times made me nostalgic for a New York Christmas I've never had. I, I want to say, so so during the live watch I was thinking, or before the live watch actually, I was thinking this movie might be a little more plausible than the last one um, because I remember a whole bunch of, uh, you know, 
obstacles that they threw in the way of of Kevin's mom getting back to the house and they knew where right. he was so it should be pretty easy to just you know call up the local cops and say hey go check on him that kind of thing uh-huh. after thinking about it it's actually less plausible I think the first movie holds together a little bit better because there are no flights like and it's a you're you have a ocean separating you right there there's a massive like, distance like, like all you have to do is explain the fact that he 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 didn't get on the flight and the door closed and there yeah. wheels up and then once that happens minimum few days to get back to the country yeah yeah so so he's gonna have that time alone anyway mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do unless once they call the cops, mm-hmm. which the cops were just like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, right. Not yeah, interested. There's no, there's no, there's no, no one here. Just, right. You know. yeah, it was negligence on the cops part. Uh-huh. Um, this one hangs together, you know, not quite as well. Because they, they make a point of it, right? Like, they're they're talking about in the very beginning how, oh, we're fucking lucky to get flights this mm-hmm. this early or this late in the season, which mm-hmm. uh, we I got a whole fucking tirade on the negligence of of the people around kevin in this movie yeah but they they didn't plan very well a uh but b if that's the case if you can't get flights then how the fuck did they get to new york from florida with with a whole fucking 15 people yeah they got their whole damn family on a single plane Although, on christmas eve it, it, that's the other thing is like once they find out are we sure they flew back or did they drive because i thought there was this from Florida in less than a day? That's well, maybe that's so. a long ass drive. Um because yeah, that's that's a great point. Maybe it's after Christmas. No, it's like that's like Christmas. It's Christmas day. Eve, yeah. They get they fly in Chris Christmas, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Eve, yeah. His mom gets there and meets him in Rockefeller Plaza. I don't know. Yeah, uh, they use it as a plot point yeah. to like, oh, we we lucky to get seats together or get right. on the same plane. Well, I want to talk about the plot because like later. almost everything that they introduce in the first 10 minutes is like things that they weave into the plot. Oh, like, it's so good. Like for example, Kevin's playing with this talk boy, which mm-hmm. is a period accurate toy, you know, a video, a, a audio recorder. Like kids love that shit still today. Cameras, yeah. video recorders. If they, you, you give them a tape recorder or an MP3 recorder, they're going to like pretend they're disc jockeys and it, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, and everything it records here is per- important. Like, he's recording mm-hmm. random shit, like what's on TV that's talking about the Plaza Hotel. He records his uncle in the shower. And, uh, they, and they demonstrate how it works, right? Like, yeah. with the, the two yeses that he delivers to his mom. Like, yep. they, they do some really tight stuff here. The the inflatable clown comes back, right? Like, yeah. Everything the, they're doing is setting up Kevin something later. Kevin about movie. not having a Christmas tree because how can you have Christmas in a place right? without Christmas trees? Because he loves and the mom, oh, you love your Christmas tree. Uh, uh, the father, even the Plaza Hotel, yeah, the game show, yeah. Um, there's like as they're sleeping, there's a newspaper that like blows over warning that the wet bandits has escaped, which are like you know that's a pretty elegant way to kind of bring them back into the plot. Um, you know the dad, oh my god, he fucking unplugs their. <laughs> So there's like this multi-adapter plug adapter that mm-hmm. he unplugs to plug in his fucking camcorder battery or something. Mm-hmm. And he plugs it back in and doesn't check anything. And yeah. he's just fucked his alarm clock up. Mm-hmm. Um, Which doesn't actually come into play. So this is like kind of wasted, right? It does. It? No, it does. Because that's why they don't make their, they don't get up for their alarm. Yeah, and I guess it's what sends them running through the terminal. And it's like yeah, the okay. same thing. And like they do the like I, I thought it was kind of cute where the when the parents wake up and realize uh, what's happened, they do the Macaulay Culkin scream into the camera. <laughs> right. It's like okay, yeah. I mean, it's a little hokey, but what uh, do you want? It's 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 Home Alone two 
where does Kevin get the screaming in his DNA? There you go. There you go. It's right there. Um, do you want to talk Mar- about Marv and Harry a little just in general? Okay, yeah. I don't have much about them in this movie. but I, I just yeah. kept on uh, in my notes that like Marv is the dumbest son of a bitch alive. Mm-hmm. Like even way dumber than even in the first movie. And he was pretty uh-huh. dumb. But then I realized it kind of makes sense. For both these guys to walk away from the events of the first movie, that massive head trauma... <laughs> And like resulting like concussion based syndrome or just, you know, personality disorders, lower IQ. It it, it actually kind of tracks. And and maybe uh, Harry just loves him so much he can't ditch him, even though he's just a massive liability. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Hmm. I wonder why Harry isn't affected in the same way. Well, I think he's a little bit the same stupid because like. But I think his plot is actually really good. I, I think the the plan that they have to go knock off this toy store mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve uh, kind of works in 1992. Like, banks aren't going to be open on Christmas Eve, right? If you're taking a bunch of cash because credit cards aren't, like, everywhere like they yeah. are now, yeah. You'd pro- where do you put that money? I mean, you'd probably have a guard. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you had a bunch of money in your tills or your safe or whatever it is. I mean, that's the other mm-hmm. thing is, like, I think in 1992 they had fucking safes. Yeah, uh, and they're just like literally just grabbing handfuls of, of, of and they're all one dollar bills. People. There was a padlock on that box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had a like a button, you know, like a, a lock and a button you had to push. But um, I, I just so it's it's interesting because um, Harry's talking about his toy store uh, heist, but like Marv has the idea of like knocking off the candy store, mm-hmm. and I just thought it's interesting that Harry's like, "No, you idiots! Who robs a fucking candy store?" And then his idea is a toy store. <laughs> Which is the most adjacent to candy store yeah. that you can get without actually still being a candy store? Mm-hmm. I mean, shit. I mean, yeah. I don't think we even have toy stores anymore. Toy store, uh, Toys R Us went out of business, but a big uh-huh. part of Toys R Us, surprise, surprise, candy. Yeah, that's true. One would argue that there was a candy store inside Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. I thought Harry was being a little high and mighty dismissing Marv's candy store idea. I think send one of them to get the candy store. There you send go. Send the other to get the toy store. You double your chances of success. Yeah, and, and have, have your chances of getting caught. Boom, there you go. Um, there's a lot of things in the plot that they do to make the parents maybe relax their guard. For example... Uh, th- things went wrong in the first movie when the neighbor kid was fucking around with a hat that looked like Kevin and they were doing their head counts and he didn't even make it to van. Yeah. Um, this time, Kevin, someone gets him up from upstairs. He gets on the van. Um, they explain why they're not sitting together because, as you said, it's like incredibly tough to get tickets. Um, but who in the right mind gives a 10-year-old their own ticket to hold through an airport? So here's the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Maybe, fair. Like, like if they had plenty of time and they're teaching Kevin responsibility, then sure. And if he loses it, you can always go to the gate and get one printed out and blah, blah, blah. But like, they're literally sprinting through the airport and they give this eight, 10-year-old a fucking ticket. Do they get the bedwetter a ticket too? Probably. Does a seven-year-old that yeah. can't hold his fucking bladder get a ticket? I think so. It's madness. It's madness. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I don't want to get too far into negligence because we'll go there. But like, when they get to the gate, nobody stops and turns around and says, okay, I'm the first here. Let's just right. tell, tell the tell the gate checker that right look i i got all i got all these people coming mm-hmm. hold door mm-hmm. N- nobody turns around everybody I, just sprints right up the the loading platform i can't believe a mother who just left her child at christmas last year sprints through this crowded airport and no time looks back and checks to see if kevin's with them yeah also why did they give kevin the fucking money He's holding his well, plane ticket. Well, okay, so and I like have an explanation for that. Oh, you do? Okay. I, I do. He has his dad's bag uh-huh. because right before 
like right as they're getting out of the car where the baggage pickup is uh-huh he's looking for batteries and his dad is like i don't have time for this shit here just take take this bag look for the batteries they're in there so well, so he hands him the bag right. assuming he'll get it back in just a second right yeah but that's the thing is kevin stops in the middle of the airport to change his batteries on his and then gets talk boy which yeah, i guess separated. that makes sense but again what the fuck parents well what i mean the, the kid uh, kevin what are you doing you got to change your batteries right now. But that's what that's what the dad's supposed to say. Right. He's not supposed to be like, here. Here's a fucking uh, bag with five thousand dollars of cash and all our credit cards and all our <laughs> travelers checks. You fucking handle it yourself. What does he think Kevin's going to do? Wait till yeah. he gets on the plane. I don't know. I mean, it's it's established his dad's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was actually clever. His dad's stunt double. You know, like there yep. just happens to be a guy. Same that code. Looks, I could buy it. Yeah. I mean, that's happened. Like, I can't tell you probably a half dozen times I went to like grab my dad's hand in the crowd or at a store or like tapped him on the shoulder and it was like some other dude. You know, it's because <laughs> when you're like when you're like significantly shorter than your parents, like they all kind of look the same yeah. from the tits down uh, within, you know, like if you got to wear the same color pants and the same shirt and the same kind of broad build mm-hmm. you're just gonna so i i, I get it rough haircut yeah yeah, yeah. um but there's this also I thought it was pretty elegant him pile driving the gate agent so like all mm-hmm. the tickets go in the air and like again for 1992 that felt like a entirely plausible thing it's like okay well okay let's go on the plane do you see your dad kevin's like yeah he's right there yeah all right well his family's on here so let's let's close up and ready to go now and make sure he finds them before you you let him go and he just they get in there he points to a guy whose back is toward them right and the flight attendant's just like okay is it I guess believable that's that there's an open seat on this plane at christmas too no it's definitely not she says just go find a seat yeah, those, oh, I thought they made the a big deal ones, about right. yeah how how packed these planes are. They do yeah. that several times in the movie, and then they just undermine it. Yeah, later. And there's a bunch of other stuff like Kevin sits down with the guy next to him, and like there's many times that he could be find out that he's not going to Florida. Like he asks this guy, "Hey, have you ever been to Florida before?" Guy starts speaking French, <laughs> and he's apparently <laughs> French and on fuck? the autism spectrum uh-huh. because he gets he gets no social cues that stop talking or that Kevin doesn't understand French. So that forces even though Kevin, he started that conversation in English, right? Yes, <laughs> and that forces Kevin to put his headphones on to ignore the French person. And just as he puts his headphones on, they're like, "Oh, greetings from flight from Chicago, going to New York City." <laughs> and so he doesn't even know he's on the plane from New York City. Yeah. Now his parents are in the flight; they're in fucking first class. I still can't believe these people, fresh after losing their kid mm. last Christmas, they should be they should be like obsessively checking for all of her kids they don't think to get up and look to see if the kid is there even though she knows something is wrong something's not right here i just right. have a feeling yeah and your fucking dumbass husband who is the response who is responsible for fucking up this situation twice in a row mm-hmm. tells you like he did last movie oh <laughs> uh, you're you know it's not gonna happen lightning can't strike twice oh you're being over man don't let this idiot ever tell you you're overreacting about something lady Like, that should be your alarm bells going off. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. What's amazing to me is this is the second year in a row that this has happened. Yes. Like, this is just Kevin's Christmas now. Yeah. Every year, it's now his tradition Uh to get fucking lost or left. Uh, it's it's amazing to me that two years in a row this would happen. No, I and the show the, also wouldn't he be a fucking superhero by the end of this? Like, can you imagine the kid 
whose house was burglarized in Chicago, mm-hmm. he single-handedly fought off the burglars and got mm-hmm. them captured, is now doing it in another... Like, he is a he is a superhero traveling the country, stopping bad guys. He would be an international sensation. He would, <laughs> he would be, be interviewed on talk shows. They would have a movie about him. Mm-hmm. The yeah, comic book too. series, you are absolutely, absolutely right. Um, I will say that it's almost worth it for them not to find out until the airport because I thought the luggage scene... Where like they hand Kevin's luggage all the way down, it gets to the bedwetter, oh, it goes right. all the way back up, and then Kevin's not mom, here. Pretty good, pretty and his good. His mom screams and faints. And, yeah, 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 and yeah. also gets like a stage five concussion because uh-huh. that melon hitting that concrete floor not going to oh, be good. Oh, we'll talk about concussions. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's we the will. least egregious. Uh, so. Kevin uses his talk boy to reserve a hotel room, and he does that thing where if you've ever had a Walkman or a talk boy, you know if you push on that door mm-hmm. to like kind of bind up the wheels, you can do a poor man's uh, uh, voice pitching down. Actually, that was part of the talk boy's features. Was so it? I remember this. Talk boy was an actual thing. Um, oh, I thought he was pushing on the door because you could absolutely do that with record you, uh, tape yes, players too. You certainly could, but this one had a built-in function. It had a switch that would do half speed, and I think ah. I think it also had a double speed right. function, which wouldn't be useful in this circumstance. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was like a super popular. Actually, in 1993, the year after this movie came out, it was so fucking popular that Hasbro had to pull their advertising for it because they ran out of stock. They were just like, well, fuck, we can't meet demand here. Pull all the advertising. Holy shit, they wouldn't do that nowadays. They'd double the advertising to make kids want even worse. Yeah, and sell them in 1994 again. Yeah, exactly. They'd have a special edition that's twice as expensive and half as <laughs> half uh, and twice as cheap. Right. And then they'd make it, yeah. That's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted one so bad. The, I thought you I, had I one. No, oh, I never got one. Bummer. I had 75 uh, Nintendo games, but I couldn't get a fucking talk boy. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You should uh, you should have wheeled and dealed, like taking half of those Nintendo games and been like, go, yeah. yeah, who's got a talk boy? I got uh, Mega Man. I wasn't uh, allowed to have friends at school. Oh, right. <laughs> right. I forgot about I forgot about our sa- the sad circumstances of our childhoods. Yeah. Um this this launches this rivalry with Tim Curry's concierge character. Um, mm-hmm. Which let's talk about this for a minute because there's like there's three main antagonists here at the hotel. You got Tim Curry as the concierge. Mm-hmm. You got this lady playing Hester Stone, yep. um, who's just like this old kind of like severe, uh, strict hotel clerk woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Rob Schneider playing like the bell boy, bellhop. Yeah, Cedric. Um, Cedric. I, I don't know. I, I know we made a lot about, a lot of jokes about Rob Schneider. He's not bad here, right? He's, yes, he's got a I'll begrudgingly admit. And a script, and mm-hmm. they're making him do just the right amount of stuff. He doesn't really unnecessarily overact. Adam Sandler's not involved. Adam Sandler wasn't involved. He wasn't at this point so up his ass that he thought everything he did was funny. I actually was really surprised at the restrained comedic talents of this Rob Schneider. And I think it's entirely because Tim Curry is the star here, right? Like, of these three antagonists, Tim Curry is the guy that they are writing for yeah and rob schneider is sort of incidental it's like oh he's the bellhop give him some funny line give yeah. him a, give him some funny plot thing but yeah. don't focus too much on him let's get tim curry and tim curry fucking shines he does he's, and he's incredible also like tim tim curry's a bit of a scene chewer and he's like you know that's he's, why he's, i love he's him playing this over the top and it's like what are you gonna be an asshole and try to stay upstage tim curry <laughs> right like you that's, can't that's one. a war of escalation you're not gonna win you're not gonna win that <laughs> God, there are um, so many good scenes with him. That that scene where they all bust into the room thinking they caught Kevin, and then he pulls out the Tommy gun stuff. 
My favorite is where so good in that. So there's a whole okay. Um, the, the, the what drives this plot is uh, Hester Stone says, okay, you can have this reservation, et cetera, but your father has to sign some things when he gets in because of course he does. Right. So Kevin's on a clock. Like there's there's a certain amount of like leeway that these hotel people will give him, but right away Tim Curry he realizes something's up. This is this this kid coming in here doesn't add up. Um, he tries to do some. Uh, sneaking in and try to you know get some intelligence about kevin i don't why is curry using some weird accent when he's pretending to be housekeeping he's got this like outrageous german <laughs> housekeeping as he knocks and lets himself in i don't know but kevin's doing the reprise of like the you know the dummy dancing uh-huh. uh, party scene right. and he's using the talk boy of his uncle singing in the shower and the bozo the clown doll and uh <laughs> and he essentially uh, makes it seem like his father catches Tim Curry spying on his ass, mm-hmm. which you would think would put him really back on his heels. And the next day, Kevin comes down and is like, oh, did your, you know, and he says, oh, was your father upset? Well, it does. Huh? It, it definitely does. It's, it's only when he runs the credit card and realizes it's stolen that he gets back on Kevin's trail. But right? that's the thing. He, he, he does that immediately after the scene, like he's still trying to uncover. Because here's the other thing. Why I, I the fuck is, is the concierge also doing accounts receivable in his spare time? Like, why is he yeah. the guy that's running the the credit card? Oh, I think shit? I think like you said, he was still a little suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. So like you know, you just like I'm just thinking like Tim Curry has a guest threatened to beat him up because he looked at his ass. Mm-hmm. You would be you you that just I feel like it, Kevin should have gotten a little a days days more of a slack. Yeah. But yeah. whatever, the movie needed him not to. Um, but that scene where the credit card comes back is stolen and they superimpose Tim Curry's face over the Grinch is sublime. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so good. Um, so he gets, uh, Curry to get him out of the hotel to give him time to uncover his malfeasance, gets him a fully chauffeured trip to his toy store, Mr. Duncan's, uh, Duncan's, uh, toy store. You pointed out in the live watch, um, pretty smartly staged. Well, I was going to give you, give you, give you uh, a moment to shine because smartly staged. Well, like, I don't remember this at all. I was drunk. Okay. Well, remember, like in the like, big, you know, they show what was that the uh, the big piano, the big piano, like the, oh, the, F.A.O. Schwartz, the the store. Yeah, it's like I, I, I maybe this is a bad example because I haven't seen that in a long time. But like I recall that being a lot of contemporary toys that probably. Oh, look, okay, yeah. Whereas this uh, Duncan's toy store is almost like a timeless toy store. Yes. So you so you're not the film doesn't age as poorly as it could if because right. like 1992 I think was like Barney. Barney was fucking everywhere probably. in 1992. Is that Furby? That's post Cabbage Patch pre Furby. It's around. It's probably pre Furby. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Barney was everywhere and and it's nowhere to be found in the store. And I, I think that's you know one of the things I want to talk about with Mr. Duncan mm-hmm. uh, when we get to the negligence section. But okay. yeah, I mean it's it's it keeps the movie very very lost in time where yeah. you, where you're never going to look at that and say oh that ooh look at those old toys that's stupid these these i mean it, they're so old that it's like charming like you're supposed to right. understand that these are even though like if you unironically got a child a toy from this store they would hate it uh-huh and you know like at best case you're going to be like ah oh, thanks because what the fuck is a kid today going to do with a uh, uh, a scaled wooden horse but then he's got weird things like He's so the the entire store is decked out in Christmas stuff. Oh yeah, there's Head not a toe. single modern uh, fad toy to be found, Mm-mm. except there's a bucket of pencils that are just like neon squares and triangles <laughs> yeah. and loops and shit. 
right up by the desk, even next to the candy canes, uh-huh. which are aren't they kind of the same fucking thing? Except you can eat the candy cane. I don't know. <laughs> you can't and, write with the candy cane. You can't eat with the pencil. And then he's the got this fucking monster soap, which I thought was candy. Yeah, but it turns out later it's soap. Where is the end cap of that in this? All these classic toys. I, I, there must be a back room for like the kids who don't give a shit about Christmas. Oh right, it's like the triple uh, X section. Yeah, it's, it's for the, the it's for atheist the, kid section. The mischievous, yeah, the mischievous kid section. Right. Uh, so I, I, I but I, yeah, it, it looks great because it's got that kind of like Christmas nostalgia. And he's a pretty mm-hmm. smart guy, and he explains he loves kids. He loves kids so much he donates all of his proceeds on Christmas Eve to a children's hospital, uh, which moves. Uh, 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 moves Kevin to donate $20 which is weird because the movie plays this like a moment of generosity but we know that Kevin has thousands of dollars and it's all essentially stolen money oh no but he says um, I'm not supposed to spend this money which uh-huh. I, I, I know is bullshit because he's uh-huh. spending money like crazy uh-huh. but he's not supposed to spend this money but he does have $20 at home that he saved up from shoveling sidewalks see I thought that was a bull- I thought that was just a bullshit cover to explain why he's got money Oh, I thought it was legit. Huh. I, I assume it's legit. I, I don't, so he's donating 20 of his own hard-earned uh, driveway shoveling While dollars. While he's on a $1,000 candy bender? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I still think the point, even if I take it as generously as you, but I think that Kevin's just like wanting to give this guy a pittance. Because, okay, why doesn't he give him 50 from his dad's stash? Because he doesn't have 50 at home. He's got 20. But he's... Okay. All right, all right, all right. If, if you're going to be as generous, I like I can't approach it from any other angle. Yeah. I think this is Kevin's money he's giving him. Uh, so the guy is so moved by the $20 donation, he gives him two turtle doves, which are probably retail value of five bucks each. Christmas oh, ornaments are that. fucking expensive. If that. I mean, they're, they're just so? they're shitty. The what are they made out of? Yeah, like shitty ceramic, rough like, ceramic, not even polished. Like, I feel like that Christmas ornaments come in like 99 cent Walmart shit tier or mm-hmm. like... Twelve ninety nine, yeah, auteur handcrafted shit, right? And it's like there's not much in between. Man, I went, I went shopping for tree toppers yeah. not too long ago. Fuck me, those are expensive. Yeah, you want a nice one? We went. So, I mean, here's a tip: go to like one of those uh, giant, like where the whole town is built around Christmas. There's like one in northern Ohio. There's one mm. in southern Indiana, and they have like a five acre Christmas store. Santa Claus, Indiana. You get, yeah, you, you get, you, you get, yeah, you get it. You get a good topper, at Santa Claus, Indiana. Guaranteed. <laughs> goddamn right. tea. Cool. Uh, and and they have t- uh, all tastes and all budgets accommodated. <laughs> uh, you know what's really funny about the the giant Christmas store in Northern Ohio? Hmm. They have like so they have like five football fields worth of Christmas stuff, and there's one sad in cup in cap for Hanukkah. Oh, like out of the entire fucking store, why bother? There's one if you're gonna give it that for, and I'm like, why is it even there? You just yeah, what? I mean you've it's like this guy selling this this fucking monster soap, right? Yeah, like exactly. why do you even have it? Exactly, the menorahs are the monster soap. You've got it. You've got it. That's exactly the parallel I was trying to draw there. Um, the introduction of the the sticky bandits into the plot, where they come up and say hi, pal, and Kevin does his famous scream, and it like zooms out and echoes. But it's it's also in New York City, so no one gives Nobody a cares. shit. Yeah, no one even like turns to look. And they they kind of expect him to, I guess, because they're I, I guess it in Chicago them, they'd probably people yeah. would notice. Yeah, it'd be hey, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Kevin has to act quick. He uses some more of his dad's money to buy these uh, five dollar fake pearls. Mm-hmm. 
bust a string out and and uh, trips just like every citizen in a three block radius yes it, that should have taken out like 30 people yeah. as busy as those sidewalks oh, and it were. will it will i mean those it's those true, things not, are still on the sidewalk yeah they're not going anywhere nope. um but mom's it, pushing strollers you got business guys <laughs> hustling off to wall street like maybe marv uh flailing around with a sticky bandit uh uh glove i do love that, that, that it catches a whole bunch of those on it yeah it's yeah, yeah. maybe that's he just rolled around trying to get up and is 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 frequently concussed state and he picked up all the pearls mm-hmm. um so at this point, Kevin runs back to the hotel because that's his refuge. But Tim Curry is ready. And there's this madcap full lobby press of Kevin. And yep. they're all giant pratfalls. Um, Kevin gets packed up to go and he buys himself some time with the uh, angels of filthy, filthier souls. I mean, this is just. I, so th- so this is one thing. It's like this scene feels forced. Like people. They, they felt like, hey, we got to check off all these boxes. We got to have him scream. Uh-huh. We got to have him do some kind of shadow play with some inanimate object. Uh, we got to have the angels, the filthier souls. And what felt forced to me is like all of Kevin's pranks were um, aimed at different people. It was like the wet bandits. It was like the pizza guy. This it's like all of his all of his tricks are forced onto this one particular person. And mm-hmm. it makes it all feel a little dumb. Like he's a little dumb, like like tim curry's character yeah like tim curry's character is simple which they're also playing him as like a smart sophisticated guy too Mm -hmm. and that's that's why i'm saying it just feels a little forced i'm not saying it's not funny like it's funny to see when when they call out cliff and and the way they mug it just the 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 comedic performance is Uh very very funny it's just the situation it's forced like i i shudder to think if you didn't have tim curry yeah handling that if it was rob schneider at the helm yeah if he was having to do the response to kevin it, it it wouldn't work at all um but he goes out of there runs right into the arms of sticky bandit marv explains the whole plot because which of he's course recording. he does yep. which he's recording on the fucking talk boy uh and then there's this nice payback of like marv being inappropriately fresh with a woman on the sidewalk Yes, and this is actually really good. And as they're hauling Kevin off, he like thinks fast. He sees it turns out the same woman. Yeah, coincidence. But coincidence. I'll let it, I'll let it slide. Uh, and he pinches her on the ass. She turns around, sees it's Marv, and Marv is so fucking stupid. He thought her slap was like a come hither. He's like, uh, you know, right. fucking hashtag me too, you jackass. But. Uh, she gives him this like devastating right cross, drops yeah. him. Harry turns around, gets the same fucking treatment. And Kevin's like, Kevin's seeing the twofer here, right? He's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, you knocked out Marv, but I can get Harry with this too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. He, he pulled, he put pins on it. Yeah. So they get waylaid. Kevin flees into uh, the park, the cent- Central Park, and the the Sticky Bandits reason to themselves, oh, Central Park. This is a fucking hellhole. Apparently, mm-hmm. didn't know this about nineties. Central Park. Maybe it's accurate. Uh, you know, grown men get flayed alive, so he's just as good as dead. And um, they, it, it's not for nothing because their scene of Kevin in New York, in New York City at night is like crazy. You've got hookers, you've got random crazy people, you've got a zombie cab driver. Mm-hmm. Um, he sees this pigeon homeless lady, which I forgot to talk about. He had seen before, yeah. He'd seen before during the going, day. It, so. I don't think Kevin, Kevin's bougie fucking family, I don't think they've ever seen a homeless person. (laughs) 
because <laughs> they've never gone downtown Chicago. Yeah, and she's not even everywhere. particularly like she's she's not a particularly scary homeless person. I could see no. like a young child being kind of charmed. She's got she's feeding the pigeons. Mm-hmm. She's got like a neutral express. She's got a rest a little bit of a resting bitch face. But like they talk <laughs> about her being covered in pigeon shit, but she's not really. She's a little, little shit. And it's broad daylight, and she's just minding her own business, and Kevin gives her the full fucking McAllister scream yeah. and runs off. And uh, apologizes hilariously for screaming in her face. Right. It's funny. Right. Well, well, that's the thing. is because at night, he finds her again. He gets his yeah. foot stuck in some fucking rock, and it causes him to do the McCulkin scream for like two minutes of screen time, mm. which is a bit much. She frees him from this crack. He runs off and then decides, oh, wait, I guess I don't have to be a reactionary asshole. She's trying to help me out. So I'm going to treat her like a human being. I don't know how the hell she gets into this, like how she lives in the New York Symphonic Orchestra. It's a really good question. I would think the birds that she brought in would probably get out and you'd have like a weird, like a dirty work kind of scene. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be shitting on the, shitting into the tubas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a bad scene. Like if they explained that she used to be like a head usher there and like the uh-huh. guy who runs the place kind of takes pity on her and as long as she keeps the pigeons outside, but like they don't explain anything because, you know, it's a kid's Christmas movie, whatever. Yeah, and then Kevin drops some Christmas okay. science on this lady. Here's another thing I don't think really works okay. because the first movie, there was a really sweet natural playoff between Buzz building up this uh, scary neighbor looking guy who obsessively shovels his driveway and salts it with like the fact he's a serial killer and he keeps his body. Like I I can see that scaring Kevin Mm -hmm. and the guy was kind of scary, but it turns out he was friendly and nice and Kevin was able to give him some pretty sage advice about dealing with his, 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 uh, his, his, uh, his problems in life. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, is this guy is a rich asshole. He lives right next door to Kevin McAllister's dad, who we've already established is a rich asshole. Yeah. So, like, it's fine for this kid to prattle on to this guy and give him some life advice. Mm-hmm. All this shit he's saying to this fucking homeless woman is cringy as fuck, man. It's so fucking self-serving and gross. Self-serving, huh? Okay. I mean, okay, it's not it, self-serving. It, it, it's just, it's just he he's running his mouth about something he doesn't even know about. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. Kevin has never had a non-parental, non-sibling, non-familial relationship in his life, right? Sure, as sure. far as we can tell, except with the sticky bandits, the yeah. wet bandits. Yeah. Uh, that one's not very healthy. Yeah, I, I don't know how he understands, you know, about opening your heart and like not wearing clothes covered in shit. And that's going to fix her problems when her, her problem is that uh, she used to have a home and a job and now she doesn't. She's homeless and she's covered in pigeon shit. So she can talk. She's- she can talk all she wants on also that's terrible advice for New York City. Like, hey pigeon lady, just start talking up? to people more often yeah. because that's all you need to do. And I, I just I don't know. I just like when he says, Well, maybe you should wear an uh, outfit that doesn't have pigeon poop on it. And like she she should have been like, All right, well, yeah, great. I'll just need to get clean clothes. I need to find some place to have And there's a shower. no sign by the end of the movie that she's taken his advice. Well, how was she? She's, she's, she's a homeless still, person covered in pigeon poop in New York City. And she's still covering herself in pigeon poop, feeding the birds at the lake. But the, she's got the, a the fucking last turtle dove. Right. This, this, this kid remembered her over a 24-hour period. Home Alone 3. It's just like there was an arc to the old man in the first one, and it worked, and it was sweet, and this just doesn't. They try to fucking force this shit in again, and it, 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 huh. it, 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't work. In fact... Kevin is kind of a little bit nastier in this film. So when they mm-hmm. have this heartwarming turn where they play the Kevin theme slowed down with like a child's chorus orchestra behind it and he looks up and he sees the the sick kid in like this perfect like 
urchin robe cough coughing in the window yeah. and he like va- it's 1886 right right like this is a fucking a, we, we just woke up in a, a not a charles darwin a Char- charles dickens charles a charles darwin a charles darwin charles dickens novel. crossover yeah yeah this kid's mutated uh and and, and the nurse comes out and says survival of the fittest kid get fucked <laughs> Throw, yeah it's sick if, there's eight uh, kids waiting who are less sick than if you god wanted you alive he wouldn't <laughs> struck you with whatever's wrong with you get out Jesus. um no but we're we're in a, a charles a darwin novel and <laughs> <laughs> plus the way he's filmed is like macaulay culkin annoyingly beautiful child uh-huh. and he's like surrounded in this like warm incandescent christmas lights. i swear to god he's glowing like the sylvanian man uh and he says you know i swear uh i i can't let i can't let kids be robbed on christmas so mm-hmm. he launches into operation ho 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 um, I like this. I like that he's taking it to the bad guys this time. Yeah. Because he's not on the defensive. He's on the offensive. Yes. And he a, is a good provoking way to take the this. fight. He has staged it on ground that's favorable to him. Yep. And he is prepared and he's going to dish out. And he's uh, fighting for something good here. Like, yeah. you can't fuck with kids on Christmas. Yeah, it's not just survival. Like it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it, yes, broadly speaking, I think that's his pretty good framing. Yeah. Um, shall we talk about the torments that he inflicts okay. on these guys? Yeah. Uh, first up, he throws a brick through the toy store window to, to set things off. Oh, yeah. He set a, teeter, a simple teeter totter. Mm-hmm. That's dumb as hell. Oh, completely dumb. You can't. You're not going to go this high off of the, the teeter totter. No. It's, and and also, it's Harry unhinged. could just step forward. He, right. Instead, he stands on the thing, turns to to Marv, and goes, "Marv, don't run over here and jump on this thing that I'm standing on." Right. Just take one step forward, and you're off of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, so then next, uh, they are trying to, they, 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 despite all evidence of contrary, I think this kid's idiot and they try to get him to throw those, the, the taped confessional down and probably the camera too. Yeah. So they say, throw the camera down. These fuckers have no idea how oh, a Polaroid works. Yeah. You throw that camera to him. He's yeah. still got the photos. Yeah. You dumbasses. So Kevin could have done that, but then they'd gotten, you know, they would have gone and I, I, it seems like they, a alternate way to go is just call the police. And have them meet him at this facility, but then so you, he does eventually, right? He he's like I, his whole plan is to lure them into the park, but he right, waits. Right. And this is where Kevin turns sadistic. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin, Kevin is saying. tormenting these yes, these creeps. He is punishing them. He's yeah. punishing them. And this scene with the bricks is one of the funniest things, but it's also just horrific. It is. I don't think. It's the most devastating thing uh-huh. that happens to them, but it is right. It's maybe the second most. I mean, and it gets me every time. Focused on one individual, and they're like, <laughs> right. Marv takes three bricks through the head, and they're all the sound uh-huh. they make, and the marks, the the makeup marks that they make on his face are stupendous. Like this yes. man's, this man's brain case is just destroyed. <laughs> Uh, and they kind of play it right. He's got the blurry vision. Like, oh yeah, he's he's, he's even more it. fucked up now. So so Ma- Marv now goes up to the doorknob with the infinite string. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the stupidest fucking thing. That is, is are they trying to explain this that, that Marv is just actively concussed and he doesn't know what he's doing? Because he, he somehow he he winds up with the trifecta, the, yeah. the, the rarely seen triple penetration, staple <laughs> ass, face, and dick. How does he do it? <laughs> How does he do it? The only better thing would be if somehow he could have stapled them all together. Mm. Right? Could he have stapled his ass to his face yeah. and his ass to his dick? I mean, I don't know if the but geometry it's, works it's amazing. out, but uh, <laughs> th- th- he could probably try. Then he finally gets the door open and he falls down. Isn't he on the ground floor? 
Uh, yes, there's a basement though. But they, I thought they, it felt like he fell down three fucking floors. Yeah, it, it's a long drop. And he says, "I'm up top." When he said, "I don't know," it's weird. Maybe he's talking about versus the basement. Yeah. Um, and the sound effect he makes when he's like twisting is that sounds like his neck is just like three pieces of broken celery. Yep. Um. Okay. Next gag. Uh, for Harry. <sighs> The zippers with the duffel bag full of oh. the, the duffel bag with the zipper full of wrenches and hammers. Yeah, after falling off the ladder and cracking his back on the that that happens a lot. Oh, people right, hit, the, people hit the concrete a lot in this movie. Right, because Kevin's coated everything with that slick goo soap. Yeah, and, um, and the pearls and the ice and right. like everything. People are cracking their backs all the time. Lots of trauma to but these wrenches. Spine. Um, but plus, I think it's that's like one of the more plausible uh-huh. uh, traps too. That like, so. you know, the door opens, uh, the thing unzips and you get a bunch of metal dropped on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, Marv then is downstairs and the, the Kevin's coated the entire basement floor with, like this slick goo soap. And he's doing this elaborate like 30 second long pratfall that ends up an entire shelf of paint dumped on him. So he looks like the worst. And then this this had to be a, a ground up renovation, right? Like the foundation is fucked because yeah. the way he slides into that shelf, mm-hmm. it's at like 40 miles an hour. This yes. must be a 45 degree. This floor. is the, this is the leaning brownstone of Brooklyn. <laughs> right. or no Manhattan. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't know if we're going to get in this in another section, but like we've established that Kevin's family is loaded. Kevin's his uncle, whole family is. Kevin's uncle owns a four-story brownstone all up. Yeah, millions of dollars across the street from Central Park in Manhattan. <laughs> the McAllisters are are. I mean, they must own a chain of hotels, right? I mean, his dad is so stupid. What could he possibly do for this much money? I mean, maybe it's not his dad. Maybe who makes the, the money? Maybe it's oh. his brother. So, so maybe they're both freeloaders. Maybe his uncle. So he's got at least two uncles, right? He's got the uncle that's on the trip with him. He's got the cheapskate uncle, which right. I, I guess is his, from his, the mom's so side. So his cheapskate uncle is freeloading off of his dad. Yep. And I think it's implied by how stupid his dad is that his dad is freeloading off the other uncle right. who owns the brownstone, who we don't know much which, about. Which, by the way, is just being renovated. Like, he's yeah. probably over in his Paris. Oh, he's wait, got a second. That was the plot of the first movie. His uncle owns, like, a big flat in Paris, too, right? That's where they're going to Christmas the other the the other year. That might be true. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, this family is just like, and the thing is, is when I was a kid watching this, I never appreciated the class differences between me and and Kevin. Oh yeah. I don't know why I, that didn't strike me as like, wow, they owned this giant uh, fucking building in New York City, mm-hmm. and like, look at their house. Their house is house like Chicago, yeah. can easily house fourteen people with no problems whatsoever. Right. No one has to share beds or anything. Well, except for Kevin, he's the one with guy the bedwetter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, back to the torments. Uh, Marv gets this entire shelf of paint and shit dumped on him. He goes to the uh, mud sink that's right next to it which Kevin is hooked up to a welding unit and Marv gets fucking electrocuted. Yeah. I think this might be funnier than the bricks because Daniel um, Stern Stern screaming and the way they flash to the skeleton that's got the beard and like it's and then his shaking afterward. It's just really, really funny physical comedy. It's like full on Looney Tunes shit when they show the skeleton and I laugh my head off every single time I see it. Um, Yeah. This movie is sillier in some ways with its tortures. Yeah, like, there wasn't because when you know Al Al Pacino, when Joe Pesci gets his head caught on fire mm-hmm. and he blows up, the the hat kind of splays out like a right. I don't it's know some kind of wily coyote Elmer Fudd, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, in that scene you're referring to, Marv walks into a 
uh, room that triggers a flamethrower that sets his head on fire. He his hat. His, his hat, hat on fire, which yes. he doesn't just take off. He sees it burning in the mirror, <laughs> and they do this pretty impressive stunt where a stuntman does like a headstand on a toilet that Kevin is filled with some kind of flammable uh, fluid. Yeah. And then lowers himself in. And as the stuntman's doing it, the the, the, the fire is still going up. So this fire is engulfing his head as he does this. Uh-huh. He hits the thing, explodes. Like this is, I mean, this is a this this is this is a fatality. Like Marv is oh, electrocuted. Yeah. Harry's dead. Uh-huh. Are there any theories out there that the, the wet bandits are ghosts at this point? They're vengeful ghosts. I didn't just, see them, but probably. Yeah, because like I think these guys are dead at this point. Um, okay, this one, oh, I keep changing my mind which one's more horrific. Then going up the stairs in this case with the reprise of the paint can. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvin Harry, they got wise to it. They do the pantomime and stomping up the stairs. And then they take turns faking getting hit. And then they think, okay, there's two paint cans. But Kevin has got probably a hundred pound cast iron four foot segment of like six inch pipe. This is the worst. This is the worst punishment in the entire thing. These guys take it full to the teeth. They do. And then they fall a full story into the concrete basement. And yep. then the, the post drops on. He them. cuts the rope holding the post, which <laughs> bounces down the staircase and hits him either in the junk or the face again i'm not sure which would be worse it's insane it, it would kill you that, I mean, that first blow would just the impact you. and the sound and the stu- they utterly sell how but it's 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 looney tunes so you know whatever because yeah. you're right there wasn't anything from like the first movie where like he steps on a six inch nail that just goes right through his foot uh-huh. like that's some fucking saw shit this stuff oh, is yeah. all it's not played for quite the same Looney Tunes effect. Yeah, it, it's more of this is more Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Um. So then, okay, the lamest one I think is the tool chest coming down the stairs. Yes. Because it's another one of those things where it's it's a felt forced. And it's not plausible. Like, like everything else, I feel like kind of could happen. Sure. This one, there's no way that that chest goes down the stairs upright. Yeah. There's no way it busts through the door with the force it does. Uh-huh. There's no way they bend their noses in Looney Tunes fashion. Like, Although that makeup effect is pretty good. Yeah. Like they're them having to flatten noses and straighten them out. That almost worth it. But no, nah, this is, I think, the worst mm-hmm. of the torments. I agree. And then they have the kerosene rope where, you know, they're climbing. You know, Kevin has a top. He climbed down. Now the guys are trying to follow him and he sets this fi- thing lit on fire. Um, they fall from like three stories into the basement walkway. Somehow this triggers like a hundred cans of varnish to cover them. Yeah. And I don't know how it didn't they didn't the whole thing didn't go up like a bonfire. Uh-huh. Which I think would actually be if he burnt these men alive in some pit on the sidewalk, that's actually a crime. <laughs> no, no. Like there are plenty of crimes committed. Like, like, but yeah. At this point, Kevin had gotten away. You can't claim right. any kind of castle doctrine defense. You just burnt two men alive <laughs> that you had no cause to. It's true. Um it's true. So then, like, there's this. It, this is all kind of denouement stuff at this point. Um, oh, actually, no, I forgot. The uh, Kevin um, gets caught because he gets arrogant and he forgets the fact that there is a you know ice and he slips and breaks his back, which uh, uh, really amuses the sticky bandits. Yeah, they drag him to the park to kill him. Uh, but fortunately, he's made friends with the pigeon lady, and she covers Marv and Harry with pigeon food. Which they've also set up earlier in this movie, mm-hmm. which I thought was nice. Like, he asks, you know, how you attract the pigeons, and she has him throw the seed up in the air, and yep. you kind of get where they're going. Um, and then they get so, uh, you know, Twitter-pated with the, the, the pigeons just covering them, and they do. Like, plus, I'm like, I'm... 
you know, um, Joe Pesci is just punching pigeons here. Mm-hmm. Pigeons are taking punches left and right. But but we've seen a pigeon take a newspaper. Like that's the thing. I I feel like oh, I don't know if they're setting the New York this City up, pigeons. But those New York City pigeons are brutal. Yeah, like they don't they don't give a fuck. You can hit them with a newspaper. You can kick them. You yeah, can who punch was it? them. Was it Joe Pesci was trying to get him yeah. to scram off of a rail, and he has to like beat them several times with a newspaper to just to get him move over. Right. So he can fit his elbows on the rail. Yeah, these here, pigeons are like, hey, we're roosting here, pal. Come on. Hey, yo. You know, it's, they're not taking any of his shit. No, they're not. And so I can, they set that up pretty well where I believe that these pigeons would be a problem for them. Mm-hmm. They couldn't just stand up and get out of this. Um, so like there's rest of the movies, essentially him, uh, getting back with his family, which I kind of want to talk about in the whole, uh, our prosecution against his family and negligence. Mm-hmm. I have a whole section on like Kevin himself. What is your overall opinion on Macaulay Culkin in this movie? <laughs> I think he's good, not great. I feel like this is, I think he's just as good in the first movie. It's just everything is being forced. Mm-hmm. So like him wiggling his eyebrows and the screams and yeah. like, it, the, the other thing is this movie's just over two hours and I feel like this should have been even more than the last Home Alone, like a 95 minute movie. So this is exactly, I, I was shocked to see on Amazon to the second it's two hours, which is yeah, 17 minutes longer than the original and I don't feel like it was really better for it. I think I'm no. with you. All right. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. they take out, like, like, um, maybe dial back to smarm on Kevin and, uh, his whole relationship with the homeless lady or change that all together to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe get rid of one or two of the torments. Um, I'm trying to think what else you get rid cut. of Donald Trump. Yeah, get rid of that. That's a, that's uh, a, that's a valuable seconds you get back. Um, but it's like he's they're, they're they're forcing him to do a whole bunch of like it's like everyone loves Macaulay Culkin, so let's make him do everything super extra. Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit older, and it just it just didn't work as well as the first one. Plus, it's also like you, it's hard to catch lightning twice in a bottle, especially when you're intentionally trying to do everything the first movie did, only more of it. Yeah. Um, where he talked about his, you know. Uh, the way he treats uh, the homeless pigeon lady when he first see her, sees her. Does Kevin know the significance and or value of tipping? He clearly does. He clearly, because when he flashes that cash, so so he sets this up, and this is why I think Kevin is so sadistic. It's not just, uh-huh. it, you know, there, there's a good case to be made against the wet bandits here that he doesn't have to burn them with the kerosene rope, like you said. Sure, and sure. he's simply doing that for his own joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the tipping thing, when he gives the gum... So I think he gives the gum to Cedric because he saw him snooping in his bag. He's like, "Well, mm. I'm gonna fuck with this guy." Okay. And then, but later on, he flashes the cash. Once he once he trains Cedric not to take a tip, he then flashes the cash. Says, "Okay, I guess you don't want any of this." He knows what he's doing. He <laughs> knows what tipping is. Especially since at this point, I thought Cedric was playing it pretty cool. Like, oh, this kid is kind of adorable. I'm still taking uh-huh. care of him. I'm doing his thing. I'm not. I just don't. I just. I know. And I'm joking with him. Like, oh, I got a little bit of your tip left over. He wasn't being a dick about it. And Kevin was a dick about it. <laughs> and how how much time did Cedric spend? setting up this fucking candy bar yeah. in the room. Because you know, moments before he checked in, that was all booze. It had to have been. Now it's all candy. These guys, like I said, Cedric's like, he checked in his bag, which, okay, that's nosy. In fact, I don't know why they gave, maybe because you're right, otherwise it's just Kevin being cruel to this guy. <laughs> right. Like, 
he, they're taking idolatrous care of this child uh-huh. for until they find out that he's got a stolen credit card and is taking them all for a scam. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? I felt sorry for Rob Schneider, mm. and I don't ever want to feel that in my life. <laughs> um, they also, like, they forced the, him losing his swimming trunks in a pool, which I guess is cute because he's clearly wearing, like, these giant adult-sized pool that he bought in the pool yeah. trunks that he, what, bought in the hotel gift store. Probably, Because yeah. I think they're all and, marked and the up big, with the plaza shit. The big adult robes and, the, and like, yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's cute, but, like, him losing the swim trunks, like, do, did we need that? I don't think that, that's a little, cut that out. Let's yeah. get the runtime another 10 seconds shorter. Is that, I feel like if you're going to go for that, have the have the lady reading poolside get splashed with your cannonball water. Mm, yeah. They just didn't go for it as much as they could have. Right. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Um, the Angels of the Even Filthier Souls, again, the, the setup I thought was pretty funny. Because it's Kevin being this cute little boy, the 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 ice cream guy is there, and he's like, "Would you like two scoops?" He's like, "I'll make it three. I'm not driving." And just the this the idea that this is like a PG version of a rated R movie, uh-huh. where the guy, yeah, you've been smooching, you've been smooching with everybody, you've been smooching with a flat Frankie, you've been smooching with Tommy the Fish. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's just really fucking hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, it just didn't pay off as as well as it could have, and then. We're going to get to Kevin's family and what a bunch of assholes they are all are. But they keep trying to force this schmaltzy, like, American tale somewhere out there duet moment between Kevin and his mom where they look out at the moon. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not having any of this because, lady, you let this happen again. Kevin is an afterthought. You guys do abuse him. Uh, you're terrible people. I don't believe Kevin loves you. I don't believe you love Kevin. Get this five shit out of my face. Well, they play it like she's the only one he does love. <laughs> like, even if you want to say, okay, we'll grant yeah. that he does actually love her, even though she's left him twice now, mm-hmm. uh, consecutive Christmases. She, he's not looking out for his sister Mm-mm. or his little brother or his dad. Mm-mm. He's just pining for his mom. Yep. Which I think is hilarious. She's the only one, like, that literally tries to communicate with him in the entire series yeah like every time he gets in trouble or and you know like i'm going to argue that a lot of the trouble he gets into is not entirely his fault Mm -hmm. um she's the only one that goes up and tries to like make a half-hearted attempt to have a sitcom moment and then the second he pushes back with accurate statements about the family's bullshit she's like oh kevin you're a fucking asshole and i guess you'll get your (laughs) wish again um anyway yeah let's talk about the family I want to talk about negligence in general, and yes, we can start with the family. Um, this all starts with the ke- the choir fiasco. Yeah, okay. I mean, buzz. I'm not going to defend punching your brother in a Christmas choir, but also every adult in that room was seeing what was happening, yeah. and they all made Kevin the butt of their joke. Mm-hmm. And then when they set up this like weird parental judgment chamber. And Buzz is giving this bullshit non-apology apology, starting with ladies and gentlemen, the jury. Um, <laughs> I, I just feel like Kevin's family is so stupid that they don't see right through this. Mm-hmm. And they don't see how that this is like perpetuating the abuse. In fact, the uncle, the fucking jackass uncle, is like minimizing what little value that Buzz's apology had by saying, well, it was pretty fucking hilarious. <sighs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I feel perhaps most sorry in that whole scenario for the the pianist oh yeah because she takes it 
right to the head. She drops backwards off oh stage God, yes. and lands neck first on what I presume is a concrete auditorium yeah. floor. She gets the full sticky bandit treatment. She didn't do <laughs> she nothing. Does. She's trying to play for a children's Christmas pageant for Christ's sake. Brutalized. Um, but I I don't know. I'm on I'm on his side because he's got this yeah. whole rant about you guys are a bunch of losers. You fucking make fun of me. You never. And here's the thing. I feel like you can't you can't judge Kevin's punch in his brother in isolation. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Buzz gets away with his shit all the fucking time. He's and, the eldest brother. Like, and I feel like they could have fixed it by just making Buzz give a pretty good performance. Mm-hmm. Like maybe have him cry some crocodile tears, and then as he's boohoo and he like you know tilts his hands over to his brother and like winks at him or something. Yeah. As it is, his parents are just fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm on. I'm on. I'm on Kevin's side. And then when the uncle tries to like give him some shit, and he's like, "Oh, I wouldn't want to spoil your fun, Mister Cheapskate." I'm like, "Give it to him, Kevin. Give it to him." <laughs> um. So we talked about all the shit that happens in the airport. Um. The next thing I want to talk about is when they get to the airport and they're given a police report about what's going on. And they end up breaking down and laughing hysterically about how this has happened again. How is CPS just not immediately called? Because they're upper middle class white people. If this were a poor black couple. I think we can drop the middle. I think we're we're in we're at upper class here. uh, That fucking brownstone ain't upper middle class. No, the uncle's definitely an upper class. Okay. I don't know about this dad. He's okay. like, yeah, he's got probably a million and a half dollar home, but that's upper middle. Yeah. Plus, maybe if you're just getting a million dollar salary for doing nothing at your brother's shady New York real estate <laughs> right. uh, business uh-huh. that's just a front for some international fucking crimes, then, then then maybe, yeah, I guess that is upper middle class. Yeah. Um, But I just want you to remember the scene where the cop is patiently trying to explain to them situation, trying to help them with their obvious fucking terrible parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no credit cards and no money. Uh, <laughs> they have to stay at this fucking shitty no-tell motel where it's raining all the time and they have to watch A Wonderful Life in Spanish. Um, but I'm sitting there and realizing, I'm like, okay, they're in Miami and their child is lost somewhere in the continental United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good bet he's not in Miami. But even if he is, maybe leave part of family there. Start driving up Florida. It takes you like six, seven, eight hours to get from Miami to like the fucking panhandle. Mm-hmm. Start get, get get a hotel in like fucking Tallahassee so you're ready to spring. You're ready to get you're ready to cover. You can go to New York, get Chicago. Like you, you're shaving off almost a half a day of your travel time, lady. No one gives a shit. No one gives a shit. They're just chilling in their fucking hotel. Motel. I, I, I mean, that's the statement of the entire movie. No one gives a shit. Like, there's not this isn't like she was bumming rides off of John Candy's polka van. Mm-hmm. Last yeah. year? What the fuck? There's no ocean separating she, you, lady. She, she was paying seven times the ticket price to scam some old couple out of their tickets. Did yeah. they think Florida's an island and not a peninsula? <laughs> did, did that cover that in upper middle class rich school? I mean, it practically is. It's so swampy. Yeah. Oh. No, I I mean, the, the case against the McAllister parents is astounding. Like, just the idea that they would lose Kevin again, second year in a row. At Christmas. At Christmas. Same circumstances. Uh, the, the idea that they would be staying at a shitty hotel in the first place. Like, they've done no no vetting whatsoever this hotel. They've trusted their dumb fuck uncle to book his honeymoon hotel from 20 years ago, assuming it'll just be as good as it was back then. To be fair, they have no money and no credit cards, so maybe but also... But they booked this ahead of time, right? No, like, no, no, no. I don't think... Oh. Yeah. 
Is that the joke? The joke is they went to this hotel the, on their honeymoon. I thought the joke is they couldn't pay for their resort that they so had, they had to go this because they had no money. They trusted the. Well, Chiefs. they don't have any money. Yeah, but I think they already booked the hotel. Because oh when the God. when the cop asked them like, "Do you have a hotel and stuff to stay at?" They're like, "Yeah." Oh wow! I thought this was the hotel of last resort. <laughs> no, this is first resort. Oh, this my is the one they God. booked. Uh, the the, the okay. parents aren't are freaking out about having no cash or anything. Mm-hmm. They never address like, yeah. Uh, I eating? guess like the cheapskate yeah, uncle yeah, is fronting, or or she's got credit cards that yeah, she maybe. didn't put in his bag. Like maybe, maybe. Uh, the the maybe the most egregious and shocking thing of all though is the end of this movie. Uh, the, the case against the family is the end of this movie. They've just had this big heart to heart moment with the Christmas presents. Buzz tosses him a Christmas present and says, Hey, we should let Kevin open the first one. Yes. And then they, then he fucking doesn't. Then he yes. says, Oh, let's all just dig in. He gets all Kevin's the fucking credit. He gets John Williams, uh, Johnny Williams, <laughs> Schmelling music. Score, yep. And just as Kevin's about to open his presents, he's like, Oh, everybody go. And I'm like, <laughs> right. you fucking did it again, and then, Buzz. And then, Kevin walks right out the fucking the door. City. No one notices. Yeah. They've, they've done it again. It's Home Alone 3, lost in New York again because he walked outside on Christmas morning. Right. So he could find the pigeon lady <laughs> and give her the turtle dove. And nobody fucking notices. Uh, their father could just, I think, put her up. Like, he could just write a check for 100 grand and not even miss it. And yeah, she gets two yeah. turtle doves. He could just he give her a floor of the brownstone. She brown saved stuff. this boy's life, and she gets two, uh, eight, eight, no, not two turtle doves, one turtle dove. So Kevin can keep the other one. They'll be friends well, forever. I mean, that's how turtle doves work, right? Apparently so. Here's the other thing, though. The parents, I don't know, why aren't they booking these trips sooner? They're, they're I, complaining about this time of year. We're lucky to get on the same flight. Why don't you book it six months ahead of time? You knew you were going on this fucking the, trip, the, right? The, the needs of the plot required them to be this stupid. I mean, <laughs> but, that's, but they don't. But they don't because then they're complaining. Oh God, it's three days before Christmas. We're uh, lucky to get on the same flight, uh, and then they fly fifteen people back to New York <laughs> on New Year or on Christmas Eve. Yeah, with no problem. That's how, true. How much do those fucking tickets cost? He complains about the nine hundred dollar room service well, bill, a cut scene and he where... just paid fifty five thousand dollars to fly his whole <laughs> fucking extended family up to New oh, York. No, no I, I, so my, in my Christmas co- uh, Christmas folder copy of this movie, <laughs> there's Jesus the deleted Christ. scenes. John Candy has started a polka air <laughs> and he just happened to have a 14 seater and like it's smoke rolling out but he got him there so it's like that's that's not that, that, oh, they should have cut that scene but but it was definitely there but the oh, thing I is like believe this movie. the next time they think of kevin he's uh-huh. out there cavorting in the streets of new york city i swear to god if they didn't get the room service bill they never would have thought of him they'd have gone back to <laughs> chicago went. and left his ass in chicago home alone three lost in new york still 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 lost in new york a year my later my parents came they found me i'm still fucking lost Ke- kevin kevin's got as much he's living with the pigeon lady he's got he's, he's as much pigeon shit covered and tim curry let's bring him back yeah because tim curry lost his he job fired, obviously because yeah. he's a sex pervert that, that failed to stop a child from going into new york city from his hotel for a third time holy uh, shit yeah holy shit it's curry the pigeon lady and kevin uh, just just around a fucking trash barrel on fire in central park i'm gonna say ironically the least negligent person in this movie is tim curry yeah he is immediately he on, on to it. kevin and kevin He's- is devious and smart yeah and and but tim curry is per- persistent right and he knows something is up he's checking into it uh, now, maybe he's a little creepy. Maybe he should be breaking into people's rooms and staring at their asses 
in the shower. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, who fucking hears someone's taking a shower and you, like, cartoon tiptoe in to look at them? Like, you're either Kevin McAllister. Uh, yeah. Uh, obviously. Uh, or you're a creepy you're Tim concierge. <laughs> right. And then, and then, oh, my God, the gall of his parents at the end to... to insinuate that he's done something wrong letting Kevin get away. They have no moral authority. <laughs> it's incredible. Everyone that they've, they've explained, like they they laughed hysterically at the police uh, because this happens so frequently and no one slaps uh-huh. them. No one gives them any judgment. And this woman, the gall of her, to, to like you said, Tim Curry, the saint of the fucking movie, yeah. gets slapped and beat and berated and called idiots because... <laughs> <laughs> These strangers couldn't do what his whole fucking family of 14 people could. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. They take it to Hester Stone. Uh, you know, she's negligent for letting him pay for the room. They mm-hmm. The hotel booking agent yep. is an idiot. What human voice sounds like this talk boy in slow motion <laughs> booking a room? Uh, and then, then I, have to, I have to take it to Mr. Duncan. Poor Mr. Duncan. He's negligent as fuck. I mean, we look at his store. Yeah. He doesn't sell a single damn Christmas toy, but all he has is Christmas toys. Like, uh-huh. these old-ass Christmas toys. What's he selling? He's selling monster soaps and pencils. <laughs> Those are the only fucking... He has to give away the ornaments. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, he yeah. can't fucking sell them. Yeah, yeah. It's like essentially a Christmas toy museum. Also, you can get exactly. goose soap and pencils. <laughs> right. So, if you need, you need some goose soap, kid, you need some uh, pencils for pencil pop... He's essentially he's essentially a, a toy store museum that sells fidget spinners. That's like the fidget spinner of its day. Oh yeah. Uh, I want to st- I want to uh, focus special ire on the uncle now. Oh yeah. Um, uncle Frank. Uh, first of all, his his son's a bedwetter, and he says, "Easy on the fluids, pal. The rubber sheets are packed." Yeah. You're going on an all expenses paid trip to Florida, courtesy of your brother. Buy two sets of sheets, rubber <laughs> sheets. You cheap asshole. I mean, it's established. What's I going to back? Cheap Five asshole. bucks. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Frank says if uh, Kevin sees him naked, he'll never grow up to be feeling like a real man. Mm-hmm. What kind of shit is that? What kind of what kind of weird psychosexual fucking game is he playing with his nephews, man? And then he's leaving the door open. Then he leaves he the knows. door open and he's doing bad things. He's, ten- he's he's luring, he's grooming. It's gross. <laughs> I'm not having any part of it. Uh, and then at at the kids' um, Christmas part, a uh, Christmas pageant, which maybe the whole family doesn't need to be drugged to to see the 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 two. Uh, males of the McAllister family singing uh but they did and his uncle is over there i can't tell whether the uncle is pretending to be asleep like making a big show of how bored he is at this children's thing or the actor portraying him is just extraordinarily bad at pretending to be asleep in his capacity Mm. as an actor because that's like doesn't work on any level i'm trying i got the telescope i'm trying to just look at both (laughs) in the tubes it's like too big too small it doesn't work yeah Uncle Frank, you're a fucking asshole. You're probably, uh, you know, it's always the people screaming about the perversity. They're the biggest perverts. That's actually not true. It's just something I'm throwing out there to be funny. But yeah, Uncle Frank, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. And he booked him that shitty hotel. And he booked him in the... Sh- yeah, that's... I didn't even have that as a bullet point because I didn't realize. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt that, like, you know, they're broke. Uh, Uncle Frank's got some pocket change and he's doing the... Be- oh, I know. Me and Betty stayed here and... But no, he doesn't even have that, Frank. No. You don't even have that. You don't even have that. Uh, let's talk about whether this is, in fact, a good sequel, Jim. Okay. I think there's certain things. I think that, number one, Home Alone, the original, is hard to beat because it was completely original. 
Yeah. And yeah. it had like the world wasn't ready for a kid as cute as Macaulay Culkin and mm-hmm. was able to kind of do the heavy lift. Like 90% of the movie is just him. He's carrying oh, yeah. that fucking movie. That's the thing. That movie gets to the action pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Like they, they sequester his family away. The, oh. the wet bandits come in and boom, we're in the movie. Um, I do think that if you remove the necessity of... I, I feel like that this movie was as airtight as it could be with the situation it was in. I, I think so, yeah. I mean, it does rely on a lot of the coincidences, but like the second time I was watching this, there's almost like a magical reality to it. Like Kevin mm. is making a Christmas wish and it's coming true because the universe is forcing it. Again, like, yeah, the first time his wish came true, It just right? all comes together like a ballet to enable it. And I didn't yeah. get that in the first movie because it just felt like it's more of like, you know, the, the parents had one mistake. They yep. got up too late and they didn't, you know, they saw a kid in the back seat and it wasn't their kid. And that, you know, it's like, it, it, and then once you get in legitimate get, circumstances, kept them once you across the ocean, you're fucked. Yeah. Okay. Um, with the hand that this movie is dealt, it, it's about as, as good as it, as it can go. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that setting it in New York was really good. Um, yeah. And, and making him actually lost in this movie. Like, yes, nobody knows where he is. So yeah. He's can't not just like call the police and have them go get him. He's not in his neighborhood. He's not yeah. in his own house. He's not in a familiar situation. It felt like a natural level. This feels like a level two for Kevin McAllister. Yeah. Um, but I think again, the, the fact that this is two and they felt like they had to run back every gag. Um, mm-hmm. some of them just like, I, I, they should have like, before they ran back a gag decided, Hey, was the, 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 the reason that the movie was funny is because it had this gag in it. Or is it the, the reason that this thing was funny is because it had all these really inventive gags that no one had ever seen before. Yeah. And I felt like for every, you know, thing that works like Tim Curry getting caught in the shower, um, <laughs> they should have like written out the filthier souls thing. They should have come up with something else, something huh. different. See, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of agree and disagree. I think the running back of the gags only really works here. It it does work for me, but it only really works because Tim Curry is so good. Hmm. And I think if you had a Rob Schneider or a lesser actor in that mm-hmm. role, I would be bored by it. But Tim Curry sells this shit. I just think that, like, imagine if uh, when they're attacking the brownstone, if, like, Marv burnt his hand instead of Harry, and Harry stepped on a uh. nail instead of Marv, and they did literally run the exact same gag back, people would be like, well, this is cheap, this is hack, oh, yeah. this is boring. To their credit, um, all of the, the torment gags are kind of original, except for maybe... Harry getting his head caught on fire, but mm. then they they go above and beyond with the toilet gag, right? And they do the staircase thing again, but they knowingly do it, right? They, yeah, they're playing off of the first one. Yeah, and I understand that like some things are trademark, like Kevin screaming stuff like that. But I yeah. just felt like some of the stuff, and again, it's not all. It's like I I can't say that this one needs to go, this one needs to stay. It's more of like there's ten times they do this in the movie, and they need to do it five. Yeah, I feel and then you. they need to take the five weakest ones and replace them with something completely original. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that. Kevin trying to do something for the kids was a nice sentiment, but the thing that he, the thing, the relationship he has with the pigeon lady is not as wholesome and cute as the thing he had with the grandpa that had the son that he was alienated with. Um, Mm -hmm. The the, the pacing isn't perfect here, and I think they knew it. I think they knew they were getting to the Marv and Harry stuff a little too late in the movie, uh and they tried to inject some of that with like the chase, uh, with the pearls and stuff the first time. And 
and it, it mostly works, but it still feels just a little off. I think that Tim Curry is a massive improvement over like having a recurring antagonist. that's not just the sticky bandits instead of like the pizza guy, the lady at the corner store, the like having yeah, yeah. like someone of that caliber in this situation. And, you know, having playing this like snooty concierge is just like perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that worked a lot better. Um, I mean, like I said, like if 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 uh, Home Alone is a perfect 10 for 10 Christmas movie, then this is like a seven. But I don't think it's. I, 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 I would my, say my, it's better. Um, hmm. I'd say it's like eight. Yeah, I think this. It's interesting because I think this movie feels more like Christmas than the first one. Interesting. The, the first one. I'm trying to think back to the moments of that you know heartfelt Christmas kind of feel like you would get in the traditional Christmas movies. The Home Alone one doesn't. I don't feel like has a lot of those moments. It has the big one at the end, right, mm-hmm. where he he wished for you know he realized his wish was. Uh, a folly Mm -hmm. and then he regretted it and then his parents come home his mom comes home and saves him that kind of thing but like throughout the movie I feel like this is more of a Christmas movie hmm I think the Christmas movie parts of it felt a little bit more forced where like you had the, you know, him having the late night can- uh, mass vigil with the grandpa where he kind of like helped him solve his family problems. And they had the you know, heartwarming. Oh, Macaulay yeah, Culkin. You know, I forgot about And I said that that, part. that felt natural and organic, hmm. whereas the okay. pigeon lady stuff felt forced. And, you know, the stuff between him and his mom loving each other and doing the five uh, American tale shit in the first movie kind of worked because this felt like a fluke. <laughs> but the second movie, they double down on all that shit and makes it so it's like that they, they should have written it a little too. more knowingly, yeah. uh, a little more like this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think they could have been better written. And like I said, like you know, I think you could write this. You have to be a little bit more cynical. Yeah. But you, you could write a movie where like Kevin's like, yeah, these families, they're kind of assholes, but I'm used to them, and we have some good times and some laughs. But they're trying to play it so fucking wholesome mm-hmm. that they've got the setup for like a married with children Christmas, but you're trying to give you a wonderful life Christmas. Right. And the movie is just being pulled in those two directions, like darker, meaner, crasser, but also mm-hmm. we got to get Johnny Williams to hit the 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 high Christmas notes. Yeah. And, you know, we got to have Macaulay Culkin looking like a Christmas angel as he stares at the. It's like I said, I it's it's not it's not terrible. And it's a it's still a, a great family movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you kind of take this stuff all on like a like a magical realism or a Looney Tunes level and don't think too much about it, it's 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 uh, it's pretty good. It's just I mean, the first Home Alone is as a, a near perfect movie. Yeah. Like it came out of nowhere. And this is again not a cash grab oh but certainly not. something like Kev, uh macaulay culkin is like this close to puberty turn this thing around right turn this thing around get this fucking thing out the the next christmas so uh speaking of of cynicism yeah the internet can be cynical sometimes oh i don't know if you're aware of that but i i was looking around i saw that the internet pointed out that this pigeon lady looks just like piers morgan <laughs> which i think is cruel i think that's a little mean uh, I found if that... anything, she looks like Colmini in a funny hat. <laughs> uh, Transporter <laughs> Chief Colmini. Yes. Uh, I think this woman, Brenda Fricker, um, I looked up her IMDb and it turns out that she was the horny mom from So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, yes, yeah. of course, that's where I saw her from. Um, I Yeah, I think she's really good in a fairly thankless role. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, she does look a little bit like uh, what'd you say, Piers? Piers Morgan. Yeah. Piers Morgan. Also, James May. I mean, there's a, she looks like a, a bevy of British, bevy of British uh, faces, bastards. I don't the know. BBFs. Yeah. 
Uh, what else do we want to talk about? I think it's about it. We've wrung all the the Christmas joy out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, There's that moment in the live watch where I uh, Kevin hands over the card to the lady behind the counter to Hester Stone, mm-hmm. and she's you know uh, a little incredulous, a little suspicious. And I said she should have bit the card to see if it was real. Mm-hmm. Turns out she kind of does. She scratches it like oh, she's yeah. trying to see if it's fake, uh-huh. which I thought was a weird moment. Yeah. What is that going to tell you, lady? I don't know. I mean, that's how fucked up credit cards used to be. You could just take a carbon copy impression of one. And oh, that right. Was, that yeah. was good enough. Just got the numbers. And you know what? We really haven't progressed much beyond that. We still just essentially doing a digital knuckle buster. Yeah. Like, hey, oh, is this the number on the card? That's what the magnetic stripe says. Send it to the bank. Hey, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. I, I could talk for hours about uh, how needlessly insecure the credit card industry is. But, but that's it. That's all the time we got. Nobody wants to listen to that in a Christmas, nope. in a Christmas film. Uh, we will be back, obviously. Um, there's pro- there's uh, probably lunch coming up at the end of this year week. Yep. Uh, one of our one of our drunk Christmas lunches where we're going to pour some of the good stuff out, uh, have an extra special Christmas edition of lunch, and we'll see you there or the next time, whenever that might be. Uh, either way, I'm your Christmas host, Aaron. And I'm your Christmas host, Jim. Have a great Christmas. 